Hello and welcome to episode number 234 of the Armin Show podcast. Who do I have here on this episode? Dean Hallett. Dean Hallett is in the place to be. I want to do a little intro right here, okay? Dean Hallett, president of Hallett Leadership, previously executive vice president of operations and strategy and chief financial officer for Fox Filmed Entertainment, key member of the executive team, and now focused on leadership. First, I want to focus straight to it. Fox Filmed Entertainment, how did you get into that? What did you do there? Wow, how far back do we want to go? Uh, it's funny because I grew up here in the Los Angeles area, mm-hmm. spent all my life here except for one year when I lived over in the UK. And with Hollywood right in my backyard, I never expected, never even considered the possibility of a career in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. I actually went into public accounting and for about seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. And through various moves that I made because of where I felt like I fit, where the culture was right, and I, I wasn't using those words at the time, it was more instinctive. I went from public accounting to the group controller for a swimming pool company, Anthony Pools, part of Anthony Industries. Mm-hmm. Then went from there to Disney, where I went back into audit, which I did not want to do, but they had a track record for placing people into business units within one to two years. Mm-hmm. So I did audit for about eight months, doing consumer products audits, where I was told I was going to have to have an MBA to get a job over in consumer products, sat for the GMAT, started filling out applications, and then my counterpart, who was doing all of the studio audits, found out about a job, mm-hmm. talked to our boss about it, and our boss thought I was a better fit, and he recommended me. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, I was the director of finance and motion picture marketing, working with creative types, publicity people, all different people than I had ever worked with before, and suddenly I was in Hollywood. It's always people that connect you to people. When you say creative types, who are some of the creative types that you have worked with, or what category specifically? These people were the motion picture marketing group, so every two weeks, roughly, they were launching a new film. So I was working with the people that were creating the, the trailers, the coming attractions, the television spots. I was working with the PR and publicity people. Mm-hmm. I was working with people that were doing promotions with third-party companies to help cr- create awareness of our products, of our movies. So all different types where, in my accounting life, mm-hmm. most of my connections were to finance and accounting people. Mm-hmm. So it was a great training ground for me because it really taught me how to communicate in ways that I could adjust my communication styles to work for the people mm-hmm. in their area, to work in the areas where they were working and not come off as a finance tech guy that they thought was going to do nothing but disrupt their business. You were relatable. Yeah, had to be relatable. That's a nice feature. Now, I want to include this thread across the episode, leadership. To be a leader, you have to be relatable. Were you always that way with people when you were working with them? Were you connecting with what they were interested in, or did you have to build that in over years? I think I got... I I refer to myself as a highly functioning introvert. (laughs) I was shy Mm -hmm. uh, growing up. uh, I actually did a... uh, It's funny, a self-awareness personal growth program when I was 21. And back then it was considered cultish from the mm-hmm. outside looking in. What now, is it doing? But now it would be considered emotional intelligence training, something right. that would be really popular and these training programs were happening all over the place. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to do that early on, so I started to understand different behavioral styles, started to come out of my shell, and just really, I think, connected in an authentic way with people. Mm-hmm. I wasn't an extrovert. I wasn't one necessarily initiating the conversation, but I was able to develop levels of trust and respect with people when mm-hmm. I would connect with them. 
So introvert, how far along the introvert end do you go on the spectrum from extrovert to introvert? I think I've learned to really move all along the, the line. I, oh. can, I, can, I can be an extrovert at times, mm -hmm. uh, but my natural instinct the, and the way I hear myself, the way I watch myself from the inside looking out, mm -hmm. I always feel like an introvert. Oh. Uh, sometimes I'm just kind of in the zone and it feels easier. Right. But uh, I've probably keep myself pretty close to the middle, but slightly to the introverted side now. I've learned to, to really create a good balance. That's a question for, in the leadership category, does it matter if you're an introvert or extrovert? Hallett, leadership leader, Hallett? Inherently, it does not matter. Oh. But what matters is that there is a tendency in the world for people to listen to the extroverts yes. and to not necessarily pull the introverts into the conversation. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of really great ideas are left on the, left on the table because they're never heard. Right. So if you include them, that's like... Introverts are smart people. they got great ideas. All you got to do is ask them. Right. Yeah. You're grabbing an opportunity that was there. That's a nice feature. What are some examples of leadership where you have felt like you were in that position over the years that it made a large difference for a project or something? Uh, probably the best example I have is I was at 20th Century Fox mm -hmm. and the head of the company came up to me one day when they were first starting to do true video on demand deals. Mm -hmm. So everything had really been tape based, film based, and suddenly we were gonna have a digital video on demand uh, feature. Mm -hmm. And he said to me as the CFO at the time, I hope you're going to be ready to distribute these assets to all the entities that are going to have to use them. Right. I said, well, that's a great idea. And inside I said, why is he telling me I'm the CFO? Right. But at Fox, people were, uh, the company was really entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. There were no big central groups that would take care of these things on behalf of all the business units. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we would have wanted to have happen is for the, each division to create its own supply chain for digital assets. Mm -hmm. So I took the responsibility to pull in all of the people from the different areas of the company and just manage and coach them and try to have them think about what are the guiding principles we want to have for our digital supply chain. Mm -hmm. And everybody ultimately said we want to be able to make it one time mm -hmm. and use it everywhere. Right. which precluded any possibility of making it in four or five different divisions. We right. wanted to do it all at once. So I had everybody on board to do it together. Mm -hmm. And then I worked with them, with a few other people on my team, mm -hmm. to, to go through the process of figuring out all the details, handling mm -hmm. the politics of taking a component of what each business, what each business did on its own with mm -hmm. its own supply chain. They had to give up some control. Right. So there were lots of politics involved. Um, but managing through that process and, and empowering people to be engaged in the in the process, to have a say in how we were going to build the supply chain. So we had a really highly functioning team that all I did was coach because I didn't care about getting the credit for it. I just wanted the best digital supply chain we could possibly create, and they got to create it. So they all felt like they had truly expanded their own personal growth in creating something new and innovative like that. Mm -hmm. A few key items come to mind there. Handing out a little bit of control lets the other person take some credit on their end. And then also not only uh, having one item, but having like, let's say right now, if you make a commercial, you want to make like five different targeted ones versus just one that's a broad one. The five, it takes more effort and more volume, but it reaches more people. Same thing with relating with people. You want to be specific to each one and give them each credit for something that they bring to the table. Right. It's a nice feature. What is something, I always like to throw this one in, a challenge you had, a huge challenge along the way that 
it was like a stopping point. And you were like, wait, well, I need to do something differently in your career. Some like decision tree or something where you didn't know what was going to happen a year from then, from that point. Uh, was there any challenges? Was it smooth across there, the way? No, no. It's, it hasn't <laughs> been all smooth for sure. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest challenges were ongoing in communication. Mm -hmm. um, at Fox, even though it was entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. in terms of people feeling connected, feeling like family, rolling up your sleeves, working out problems, solving them together. We still had uh, uh, a rigid number of silos in the, in the company. And mm -hmm. Rupert Murdoch, who ran the company, basically mm -hmm. said, do whatever you have to do for your company to be successful. Mm -hmm. I don't care what it takes. So everybody was taking personal responsibility for their own area without considering the impact on the company overall. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of toes that were being stepped on along the way. Mm -hmm. um, when, when Jim Giannopoulos left the company mm -hmm. and Stacy Snyder came in, mm -hmm. she wanted to have a more open culture, bring all the ideas together. It's what she said. These were her words. She wanted to create a culture of collaboration, have the healthy debate. Mm -hmm. And so we went and we workshopped probably 1,100 out of 2,600 people at the studio to get just one-day workshops to get them ingrained in uh, how we wanted to approach things differently, how to uh, think, think about the company as a whole. We actually did experiential exercises oh. that would exaggerate how we tend to do what we do when we're in school in the early years, where we're taught do our own work, don't cheat, don't look at anybody else's paper. And we wanted people to think differently, so we, were, we taught them ways to catch themselves. Mm -hmm. So that after the workshop, they would walk down the hall and they would definitely look at other people that had been in the workshop and approach a problem differently than they would have before. So we got people invested in communicating more openly, working together, and so on and so forth. And that was all great. Everything was growing. The challenge was that as much as Stacy wanted a culture like that, mm -hmm. at least felt she wanted a culture like that, she still truly believed that in order for a movie company to be successful, you have to launch the movies, as opposed to getting the entire studio in, uh, behind the, the brand over the course of its entire life. Mm -hmm. So we had two or three movies that didn't work so well, and a few people had left the marketing department. And Stacy became more concerned about retaining people in marketing mm -hmm. than continuing the open debate, open culture about everything. And she was paying more attention to the marketing production side of things. Mm. And people realized that. She was very vocal about it. That She goes, I, see, I can't afford to lose anybody else in marketing. And people played that to their own benefit. Oh. So she started rewarding people so they wouldn't leave the company. Uh -huh. And when she did that... All the other people in the other division said, oh, really? I thought we, this is how we were all going to be, open, collaborative, and all this. And you're rewarding bad behavior over there and not us. So I guess it's all just lip service. So that became an extreme challenge because I had been doing programs inside the company, really professing the, the openness and collaboration with the high-performance teams I'd been working with. Mm -hmm. And I continued to do that on a much larger scale, but it was really a challenge to do that when she was no longer mandating it from the top. Right. Uh, I, I, I think mandates can really be stifling, mm -hmm. but if they're done right and they allow the engagement and, and idea generation to happen in the process where people still feel like they're part of something, mm -hmm. and then at the end of that, whoever's in charge does the mandate, I think the mandate is incredibly effective. Because then, otherwise, you've, there's constant debate 
about maybe you can change the course of the future and, and they don't necessarily get behind and align the idea that has been mandated. Yeah. Disney's great at mandating. They oh. mandate stuff all the time, people fall in line. I'm not sure how much debate they have internally and how oh. engaged they feel, mm -hmm. but you know when Bob Iger says this is what the company's doing now, they do it. And mm -hmm. I think it, it creates, it eliminates a lot of inefficiency mm -hmm. when you do that. Yeah, that's true. People in the company are very tied to yeah. what are the actual metrics that yeah. I need to meet to move up. Yeah. And when it doesn't match exactly what's being said, you start to have discussions with your yeah. local people. I like mandates. They have their place. I just, as long as they're, they're done it with the people that are working there, allowing to, be, to have them engaged. And so with Stacy, we could have used a mandate. And if she had stayed behind that mandate, it would have been great. Oh. The word needs to match the actions behind That's it. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, otherwise there's no integrity. Right. Speaking of that, as a leader of your own, what are some of the metrics you look for or that you represent that you would want people underneath you to provide? <sighs> metrics or qualities? Both, but qualities more so, actually. Qualities, the, the attributes and qualities that I look for in people, mm -hmm. I won't necessarily hire the smartest person. Mm -hmm. I'll hire the best person, which means they've got to be a good fit. Mm -hmm. they, got, they need to uh, you know, fit within the culture, have an open collaborative style where they want to encourage people to grow, ideally not be threatened by people underneath them that are very good so that they'll actually help develop them as opposed to keep them at a certain level. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as I went on in my career, it became more and more apparent to me that the best thing I can do is make sure that everybody who's working for me is operating on all cylinders and growing as much as possible because then they'll develop, they'll take more responsibility, they'll be able to make better decisions on their own, and the company will, they'll benefit from that growth, the company will benefit, and I will benefit because I'll have a team that is truly high performance. Mm -hmm. So open, collaborative, um, willing to work with others to uh, create uh, different, uh, different end games, um, challenging the status quo. I think today, companies are constantly being disrupted from so many directions that one leader of the company is not able to manage all of it through their own bandwidth and they have to rely on the eyes and the ears of everybody for seeing what's coming at us and coming up with ideas on how to deal with them. Mm -hmm. And to the degree that you have people on your team that are, are doing that and the, and the CEO is willing to mm -hmm. let people play that game, the company's going to be better off because if, if you're... If you're not disrupting yourself and looking at the ideas that you, of where you need to shift in the company, all the other companies out there that are disrupting now with lower barriers to entry are going to eat your lunch. You need to basically outcompete yourself at all times, and then you're, ba you're covering for what the external would bring anyway. Right. But if you don't do that, the external is showing up thanks to evolution and continuous effort. I like the bandwidth message. I always look at bandwidth in communication, high bandwidth, like in person versus like video or audio or just text or some like, one bit like. And then same thing, bandwidth of connection between a group. There's only so much information and response that one person can bring. But if you have a team of five people, they'll bring different angles, different personality response. Exactly. The diversity of, of perception is so critical because mm -hmm. I, I'll see things with my inherent biases and other people will see them differently. And it's, it's great. That's, that's what a whole other topic we can go into if you want is feedback. I mean, feedback for me personally, it's like there's things even about myself I don't see. And somebody else has a different point of view. I might be putting something out I'm not even aware of until they mention it, and then I have the opportunity to, to do something with that feedback. So other people's perceptions about me, other people's perceptions about what's out there coming at us, it's all important. Mm -hmm. I would say you have a direct, clear form 
what is one gap you have had that you have noticed over the years? Wait a minute, this is something that others can maybe fill in that I don't do as well. Uh, I have a tendency, it's funny because I have a tendency to take high performance for granted sometimes. And when people are doing something exceptional, right. I won't do enough to acknowledge it and mm -hmm. reinforce it for them. Right. Um, I'll appreciate it, but I just I, people will say, hey, you know what? You, you really need to acknowledge these people for what they've done. People will bring that to my attention. And it's, it's good because you know, they they're keep their finger on the pulse of sort of how's the, how's the um, what, what's the temperature of, of the people in the company? And are they feeling good or do they? It's not like a rah-rah morale booster, but right. if people are out there working hard, Sometimes it's not about a raise or another position. It's about acknowledgement right. and knowing that some people notice. And sometimes it's nice that people will nudge me and say, hey, you know, make a comment, do something, give them a pat on the back, say, nice job. Right. This is a big deal. I've had this same concept come to my mind that it's like you start to take it as normal. You would hope that a lot would be like that, but right. that's a special thing. It's not common. Right. I've had a friend that, for example, he's very in tune with people's feelings. I got used to it that we always get each other, but then when I go with other people, maybe they don't get it. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, that's special. That's not, that's different. You want to acknowledge it. And it might just be an acknowledgement. It doesn't have to be some sort of bonus or something. What have been some of the ways that you have um, maybe motivated or inspired some people who have worked underneath you? The, the biggest way truly is, is by, I made a shift ultimately where I decided that I don't care if people do things the way I would do them as long as the end result is okay. Mm -hmm. So people really know the difference. If you're delegating, mm -hmm. people truly know the difference between you giving it to them, letting them run with it, seeing what they can do, and being there to have their back and coach them if they need it, mm -hmm. as opposed to delegating something and having them feel like you are constantly looking over their shoulder. And, and some people go through the motions and think, oh, I've delegated. And, and the people, they know. Right. They know deep down if you're, if you're watching their every move or not. Right. So what I did is I made a decision to truly let people run and be creative and innovative. And, I, and what was great about it is a lot of times they would do things in ways that were far superior than I would have done them. Mm -hmm. And I was able to learn from them. So there's always a benefit to me of, of watching people grow. Yeah. It's like a hindrance. Oh, I'm being watched every moment. Oh, what's the, there's judgment. I can't be my free self. Right. It's just not the same. Well, and I, if somebody's looking over my shoulder, I'm less creative because so much of my focus is on the fact that they're watching my every move as opposed to what's possible. Mm -hmm. So it even gets in their way. Right. What a blockage. Now, you switched from a corporate culture. How long were you in that type of culture for? Uh, let's see, <laughs> that type of culture. Start public accounting, seven and a half years, um, two and a half years with a pool company. So it's at 10 years, mm -hmm. and then uh, 11 years at Disney and 17 years at Fox. So uh, 38. 38 years. Nice. I mean, much, much older than I look. No. <laughs> you look youthful, okay? <laughs> I am 75. Joke. <laughs> now, one thing is, you switch from that. Now, Hallett Leadership is not, you're underneath some other entity, what switched you from that to creating your own entity? When, when Disney decided to purchase Fox, mm -hmm. uh, and I had already been at Disney, and I knew how good Disney's movie side of their business was, mm -hmm. I anticipated that they likely would not have a role for me at mm. Disney. So rather than wait around for 15 months for the deal to close, I decided to negotiate an early exit. And so many people came up to me and, say, and I had to negotiate my way out of my deal, so I really didn't have anything lined up. 
a number of people came up to me, people that I respect, and said, take your time, don't rush into anything, don't jump at the first offer, really think about what you want to do. And my mentor actually said, come up with a personal vision statement. Which is interesting because in the work that I've done, because I did a lot of leadership and training development while I was at Fox, mm -hmm. I'd have people work on vision statements all the time, but suddenly it was me having to come up with one, and I'm like, well, that's kind of weird, but yeah, I guess that makes sense if I'm suggesting other people do it, even if I suggest that they do it for business. Right. For me personally, it probably did make sense. Mm -hmm. And I came up with, I want to do the things that I was incredibly passionate about while I was at Fox, which was the leadership training and development aspect of things, mm -hmm. in places where it's supported from the top. Right. And I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know if that meant I was going to go to a company and do it inside their company in some sort of a role. Mm -hmm. But as I went along, I felt that I could take this accelerated leadership program that I developed at Fox, mm -hmm. a nine-month program, working and developing leaders that are just starting to lead teams for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I could take that to other companies, and other companies would benefit because their people would grow, the company would get the benefit of the strategic projects that they present, uh, pull together and present during the course of the uh, program, mm -hmm. and that they would have a network of people in that program that would develop this high level of mutual trust and respect mm -hmm. within the company, but they actually work in different areas of the company, so you have the synergy mm -hmm. that gets created within the company automatically as a result of the program. So I said, Fox has been benefiting for 15 years from me doing this, let me take it somewhere else. Right, and then what are some of the core, what is Hallett Leadership what does it look like today? What is it going to look like in the next few years? How Leadership launched in January of this year. Mm -hmm. uh, I started out doing some executive coaching and some short-term workshops, uh, one to two-day workshops that were similar to the high-performance workshops I did at Fox mm -hmm. under Stacy Snyder, just to, um, to create the relationships with the company because it's a big commitment for the company to say, come on in, I trust you to work with my people for nine months and completely alter their their nature of behavior in the workplace. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been going back to companies that I've had relationships with for a long time. I'm having conversations about uh, bringing that program in, but I haven't brought that program into a one of the other companies yet, the nine-month program. I have two or three leads that are uh, hot leads right now mm -hmm. that I'm working on. Um, but it takes, it's a commitment because it's, it's, it's a big change within the company as opposed to just saying, take care of this one person or let's do a one-day workshop. Right. I expect that uh, by this time next year, I'm going to be running uh, three to four of the accelerated leadership programs concurrently, different start dates but overlapping each other mm -hmm. in, uh, in one or more companies. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a network of people that are involved in the, the human development aspect of things that I do that I work with that I could scale this. So if I went in one company that in, uh, did a pilot program in Los Angeles, and they said, you know what, we want to take this to four of our cities and put a lot more people through this, right. I'd be able to turn that up really quickly with the curriculum that I have. That's good. Yeah. It's nice to have a network so then things can move faster. Until you have that, you're a little slowed down in multiple categories. One thing I want to go back to, because it always comes to my mind, is risk-taking. Yeah. The item that held you back, or no, sped you up to make that decision to exit, whereas you could have just stayed for a bit, have you always had that quality where... You're like, I'm going to do my thing regardless of what seems to be said around me or no. 
Uh, no, that's why I spent 38 years in working for other companies mm-hmm. and, and taking this step. I've, I've done it in personal ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've always been interested in personal growth, and I've gone and, and taken um, leadership training and development, personal growth training courses, things like that, always educating myself and growing personally. Mm-hmm. But in terms of financial responsibility, I was less risk-taking. I'm fairly conservative financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, having been with Fox for so long and the way I was able to negotiate my exit package, given that the packages that were being put together for when people uh, were going to be laid off by Disney anyway, Mm -hmm. they were giving a lot of people packages, I was able to negotiate a good enough exit that I can do this on my own and grow it and not be worried about what's the income stream. I'm really doing this because I'm passionate about it. So if I make very little money in the process and I'm watching people grow and I get rewarded that way, that's totally okay with me. Mm-hmm. So the, financially, the timing was perfect for me. Right. That's a nice fit there. And then now yeah. you can get fulfillment from what actually feels good yeah. internally. I'm actually starting a program next week called The Strategic Coach. I'm going to be a student working with a bunch of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, who are also new entrepreneurs and then the people that run the program. And we, they become almost like my board of directors. And I will have them to lean on because this is all new to me. I haven't been an entrepreneur before. The way I'm doing my 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 marketing, the way I'm reaching out to companies, I'm I sometimes feel like I'm shooting from the hip. I'm trying to figure all this out. Most of them are telling me that you know I'm right where I need to be. This is what they've all gone through, and mm-hmm. I will learn as I go. Mm-hmm. But uh, it'll be nice to have them there for the lessons that they've learned. That I won't. Hopefully, I'll be able to learn more quickly by having them there. So uh, I'm a new entrepreneur. Uh, I'm not an expert entrepreneur, but I'm having fun doing it. That's the cool part to me. When it's something is fresh early on, that's where I'm most connected with individuals. It involves some sort of risk and some sort of, it's not some comfortable territory. Have you always liked comfort or is comfort off-putting to you? How do you feel about comfort? <laughs> I like comfort because it's safe, but comfort can get boring too. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm always, I always, in our programs, we always talk about pushing people outside their comfort zone, mm-hmm. which expands their comfort zone. But that's growth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm willing, I, I, I like new and exciting things. I like creating opportunities. I like watching people grow. When I run those programs, I have to go out of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So I was in a program where there was one individual mm-hmm. who was um, really sarcastic, funny, but sarcastic and constantly making jokes about things and but he had this very dynamic personality and he was a little off-putting to people and everybody was afraid to approach him Mm -hmm. and but they all were coming to me and telling me how disruptive it was for them and how they felt uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I always want them to own the program and take responsibility and accountability for each other in the Mm -hmm. program so I would encourage them to have that conversation with him and most of the time when I do things like that, people will go do that. But mm-hmm. this went on for several weeks. Oh. And finally I said, you know what? I need to take a look at myself. What is it? The program's kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do in order to move the program forward? So mm-hmm. I said, I need to go reach out to him. So I hadn't done that in a program before. And I didn't, you know, it's giving and receiving feedback. It's like, okay. how comfortable is he going to be receiving what I have to say? Right. So I invited him to coffee. And... He proceeded to tell me all of the challenges he had in his life, his young kids at home, what was going on with their family. He was incredibly open with me. Mm -hmm. And we connected in a way that we hadn't before. And in that moment then, I I let him know 
while he was doing these other behaviors, what people's reactions were to it, because he, he had a blind spot. He wasn't noticing it consciously the impact that he was having on the other people in the room. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I get it, and I'm gonna be different. And he came in the room, and suddenly he was different, and the program could move forward, and everybody connected with him. And uh, he made a joke, because at the end of the program, we give these little awards out, and I said, uh, I went, we went and had coffee and, you know, there were some issues and we went and had coffee and talked and worked things out and he interjected and said, yeah, and it turned into a weekend in Palm Springs. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. It was fun though. It was, it was, you know, again, he grew through the process, but I grew through the process because I had to get uncomfortable mm -hmm. and it was a great example to show the people in the program how you can take a step on behalf of what was really everybody right. and have a conversation to help move a group or a company forward. Yeah. That's a nice feature. When there is one person or two people that stand out and you do something about it, it's a little bit of discomfort, but then it sets everything back to a nice, smooth move. Yeah, if you have somebody that's slowing the growth of, uh, is in the way of the growth of a company, mm -hmm. um, you know, the company, somebody in the company ought to address that because otherwise there's wasted energy. Yeah. And, and getting people comfortable doing that. When people hear about giving and receiving feedback, they think it's a negative. Mm -hmm. And they, or they, or they're, you know, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings or whatever it is, but there is a constructive way to do it yeah. that helps the other person, helps the organization, and then actually helps you grow personally, helps me grow personally when I do it, because I'm taking a risk by communicating that mm -hmm. and, and that's growth. That improves my communication style and improves my connection with someone, whatever it is, there's all kinds of benefits that come with it. Mm -hmm. Growth can only be can only happen when there's that give and take. Yeah. If you're just stopped, there's none. Right. One thing, growth, I always get through books. I do a lot of book reviews, interview authors and whatnot. What are some books you have identified with that gave you some of the qualities you use today? A couple of books that I, I focus on a lot right now are um, Collaboration Begins With You, mm. which is by um, Ken Blanchard. He wrote The One Minute Manager. It's written as a parable, oh. uh, but it talks about driving change mm -hmm. uh, in a company. And a lot of times people are waiting for that mandate to come from the top. And the reality is we all have the opportunity to go in and to work with people to get them to collaborate, to start, we can start collaborating with someone else in a different way and, mm -hmm. and create that energy. Right. Um, so the book's written and it talks about when there are people that are resistant to that, how to deal with that. So that's really helpful. Uh, and then I mentioned my mentor earlier, mm -hmm. uh, he, that's Jack Swizzig, and he wrote a book called uh, the, the Tao, T-A-O, The Tao or Path to High Performance Leadership. And it's almost like a workbook that talks about you want to focus on these five positive aspects of what will drive high performance leadership, mm -hmm. collaboration, those kinds of things. You can pick those five topics. You can read the whole book and work with the whole book, but you can actually pick it's, it's structured in a way you can pick the five things you want to focus on, mm -hmm. and then it has a number of negative behaviors that you want to eliminate, and it talks about how to address those. Mm. Um, both of those, I find myself completely aligned with the writings in both those books. Uh, have you always geared towards business slash leadership books? Were there any other categories that you deviated into or not so much? In books, period? Mm -hmm. I love fantasy. Yeah? Yeah. No, I, and I used to have a long commute, so I would I listened to all the Harry Potters, all the Lord of the Rings uh, in full un, uh, unedited form in my car. It was, was great. Was that more enjoyment, in escape, some combination of that? What would that be? 
I, I, I probably both. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why it is that I'm I'm drawn to fantasy. I just I you know like so many millions of people, I watch Game of Thrones and right. um, I just love that that kind of of uh, storytelling. I think mm-hmm. um, it's just different. I don't know why I'm so attracted to it, but um, it does. It brings. It, it's definitely pleasing for me to do that, and I'm. Uh, I could go into the, the physiology of my eyes and why reading's not the easiest thing in the world for me, but um, I, I like to listen. I do a lot of uh, audiobooks. I listen to a lot of books. Mm. Two things come to mind there. The medium we take in, there's some we attach to. Like, I like text a lot, so I do a lot of, like, reading of Reddit or Twitter or certain books or articles, mm-hmm. and then some audio. There's podcasts and whatnot. Some people like video more so. Uh, that one is a key one, the medium. And then the second item is... Yeah, what, how you put out content also is relevant. What is ways that you have put out content in the past? What mediums have you used to put out content? This is fairly new to me. It's interesting. A, a few people have approached me about writing a book, mm-hmm. which uh, I'm much better at, at speaking than I am writing, but mm-hmm. obviously I could use uh, somebody to partner with me to do that, mm-hmm. tell the story. Uh, most of my output that I've done are in the forms of, I've done podcasts, which mm-hmm. is a way to get myself out there and my story out there. Right. Uh, I've uh, written some blog articles um, that I've posted on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's mostly what I've done. Some things I've, I've uh, in LinkedIn. I've done uh, interviews where the interview's been written. Oh, that's cool. Just different things like that. I, I, I'm still learning what these various opportunities are and, and how to get the word out there. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn is getting more popular right now. One thing I've noticed about storytelling, I've thought about it a lot in detail. Uh, when you tell a story, it's so compelling because things are already happening on the earth with no story being told. But when you tell a story, it's like you're saying, this thing matters because the way it happened this way. So it's sort of a persuasive package for the person to take it. And nobody really picks up on that while they're taking it. And they're just like, oh, these things happen. But you're giving it more weight than that other thing that occurred. So it kind of says this matters. Yeah, in a way. well, especially with the, with, the, with the way information comes at us from every direction these right. days. It's, it's, it's challenging to, to filter all that and to prioritize. Mm-hmm. So if you tell a story and make it interesting right. and it's relevant to people, then you know, that helps get it to the right, in the right way. That's true. In the current time, we get so much this uh, array of content. So then something that actually connects multiple things together along someone's thread of life. It's like, oh, okay, this is pleasant. Right. It's relaxing for a moment. If you had a book, what might be the title that describes yourself? That's tough because I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure which story I, I want to tell yet. Multiple. Um, you know, one of the. I'm. I'm I was at a. I was on a. Uh, another way. I, I. You talk about how I get my stories out there. I was on a uh, panel mm-hmm. the other night, and. I was talking about. They really wanted to hear war stories from my time mm-hmm. in Hollywood, <laughs> from time at Disney and, and Fox. And it's great. And it was there were no cameras, and it was off the record and all that. I'm not so sure I really want to write all those stories with names attached to them in a book right. and publish it, because I just can't even imagine what the ramifications right. of that would be. Um, so Man, you talked about me. This is yeah. You know, I, 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 probably the best thing for me to say, would, and it's a tagline of my company, mm-hmm. developing tomorrow's leaders today. There are people, you're aware of the Peter Principle. Yeah. Okay. People being promoted into a level of incompetence. <laughs> I don't believe that that's essentially what it is. I think what happens is people are promoted based on their own individual performance in a certain area, and eventually they go to a level of management and a team is under them, and they've got no training and development on how to manage, motivate, and engage a team. And they struggle with it. 
and they don't give and receive feedback, they have performance issues that they don't address, mm -hmm. and that's where the dysfunction starts to come in. And so I catch people in my accelerated leadership program mm -hmm. right at that point where they're just starting to lead teams. Mm -hmm. And that's when we go through the nine months of behavioral matrices, they get a 360, they do uh, a ropes course to help build the team together. Mm -hmm. They do experiential exercises, and I mentioned before, that exaggerate how we have a tendency to work alone and want to work alone as opposed to bringing other people in to solve a problem. They, um, they have to, they're, they're faced in confrontational situations where they essentially have to rate each other's participation in the program, which is not a comfortable thing to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, they end up at the end of the program, the last three months, working in smaller groups on a, on a, pro, um, a project, mm -hmm. on a topic that's relevant to the company, relevant to the industry, and get up in front of senior management and present it. Mm -hmm. By the time they go through those nine months, they feel that they can, they can be a leader, they can be a follower, they can talk to senior management, they can get up in front of a room, they can motivate their team. They can, they, all those things just come naturally to them because it's become part of their daily behavior. Mm. It's not like, again, a one or two day workshop where they come back to their office, suddenly a crisis comes up mm -hmm. and they recede right back into their old behaviors because that's safe, it's their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Now they're more comfortable after nine months of doing these other behaviors. And um, so I think that, that's why I said the Peter principle, if you catch people at that moment in time and give them those skills, they're gonna be high performance people for many, many more years. A lot of things came to mind while you were describing that. One of them is, it's not that different from like a math student. If at some point, like in fifth grade, they missed some key point and you let them continue on without that baseline, uh, you didn't catch them at the right time. And now for years, they'll, that'll be like a hole in their learning and they'll always be like, ah, oh, those aren't my kind of problem or something. But if you can catch a person like that and you know how to delegate a team under them or manage them, then Maybe they can continue to rise up the ranks. Yeah, and you give them a foundation and, and you throw so many things at them that they learn to be versatile and how to adjust their style or do whatever they have to do, Right. which is what happens as you get higher and higher in a company, more challenging things are thrown at you and you've got to figure out how to deal with them. Right. So it prepares them for that. That's a key point. It's always nice to move up. The comfort, I like that you pointed out, like if you do something for 12 years, even if you do something new for six months, you still have a deviant deviation chance to return back to that 10-year path that you were in because you did it for so long. So you have to be constantly pushing until, frankly, you've done this for five years. Now it could compete time-wise in your mind uh, as far as the new thing, like your new entrepreneurial path. Right. There's going to be elements in the next eight months, 10 months, where you're going to be like, hmm. Yeah. There was a comfort. And, and th too. this kind of learning is not limited to, to new leaders of teams. The difference is when you find people that have been leading teams mm -hmm. and have been rewarded, yeah. whether or not they're great at leading their teams, they've been rewarded, they feel like what they've been doing has worked. Mm -hmm. And so it's more challenging to get them to stop and take an unbiased look at their approach to these things and see if there's a better way. So they're more stuck in their own way. Mm -hmm. So that's why I like the new leaders because they're like sponges. They're so hungry, they just wanna know you know, they're so thankful and grateful to be able to be taught these things because nobody's ever done it with them before. Right. A lot of companies won't do it because they feel that if they train and develop their people, they're going to be more marketable and they're going to leave. I have seen over the years, almost without exception, mm -hmm. that when you take the time to invest and develop your people, they 
it, you catch them off guard because most companies don't do it. Right. And then they actually are incredibly loyal and they feel engaged, they feel like they're a part of something they haven't been before, and they're actually more reluctant to leave because they don't know what they're gonna get at the next company where they're the brand new person and maybe they're not gonna have that same kind of connection. That level of care. Yeah. We really like when there's care, those rare times that it shows up. It's a huge difference for people. Huge. They feel cared about. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Somebody notices me. That's true. One thing I always like to check if you had a megaphone to say something to all 7.7, .7, which is the current population of the Earth, billion people on the planet, what would be a message or a sentence that represents what you would want them to know about yourself or what you'd want them to know for their own life? More so for their own life. More so for their own <laughs> life, yeah. I mean, for me, I just want them to know that, that uh, I, for me, it's that I'm, I'm, I'm a connector. I'm a connector, you know, I was, uh, I started out as an introvert, moved in the middle. If you look at Myers-Briggs, I'm, I'm cl clearly near the middle on so many things and it gives me an opportunity. What is your Myers-Briggs, by the way? Uh, I think it's uh, INTJ. Oh, cool. Yeah. Focus for hours Yeah, you, you know way better than I do, I'm sure. But, but what was relevant to me was I was near the middle. So ah. I'm one of those people that can take the person that's at this extreme and the person that's at the other extreme and mm -hmm. bring them together and get them communicating, which I think has helped me work with so many groups where that otherwise might not get things done. When uh -huh. we had to do the digital supply chain, I was the perfect person to pull everybody together because some of these people would never talk to each other. But I got everybody in a room and was able to create an environment of, of trust. So that's a long way of saying, I'm not in this for me. I'm in this because I want to see people be able to grow and develop at a much faster pace than I did and not take as long to learn the lessons that I've learned. And so that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing. The message I want other people to get is, um, you know, I, the best way for me to say it is in the word, I use this quote with my kids growing up all the time. And finally I looked up to see who wrote it and it was Teddy Roosevelt. And he said, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think, you know, with all the data flowing around, a lot of people are walking and talking like they're, they're, they're up to date on all the news and they got the little tidbits and things like that. But you know what? Who cares? If I know that you're, you care and that you're engaged and we can have a connection, that makes all the difference in the world. Right. Who cares? The person that cares. Yeah. That's a great point. Dean, I want to thank you for having been on this episode, number 234 of the Armin Show podcast. It has been great. It's been an honor. Thanks. This I really wonderful. enjoyed it. I liked it. And we are out.